right, welcome to the Jesus Famous Podcast. Our podcast exists to see Jesus honored, glorified, loved, esteemed, appreciated, adored, revered, and followed. That's what Jesus Famous means to us in your everyday life. I was actually just reading the other day this book about how Christian discipleship sometimes forgets about the right part of the brain and how the left brain is the logical part that thinks through doctrines and that's what we think of as the mind but that the right part of the brain is six times faster and that everything goes through the right brain first and as they were explaining it they said the heart is the thing that has to be one first the emotions first and that's to me what jesus famous means we want people to be so deeply enraptured with who Christ is and what he's done that it shakes out into their everyday life. So sorry for that little diatribe there, <laughs> but I'm Nate Holdridge. I'll host today a pastor at Calvary Monterey on the California Central Coast. I like to preach about Jesus Famous on Sundays and write and podcast about the same thing uh, during the week. And uh, we do lots of different things on this podcast. Uh, but today I get to have a conversation with an old friend <laughs> that I'm really looking forward to. I'm gonna be joined today by Meg Ryan, who uh, is in ministry here locally. She's the student life director at Trinity High School, which is kind of our local, if you're not here from the Monterey Peninsula, it's, it's like our local Christian high school. Uh, there's not a bajillion Christians on the Monterey Peninsula, so it's a small little presence. Uh, of faithful uh, discipleship oriented, uh, faithful discipleship oriented high school. And uh, so Meg has been there for a long time now. Yeah. And uh, she's uh, about to graduate with her master's degree from Western Seminary. And I'm um, real stoked about that and what that's done in her life. But she's been uh, teaching theology for many years. But my big claim to fame with <laughs> Meg is that uh, she was. She was uh, one of my youth group kids way back in the day. So, Megan. <laughs> yeah, hi, Nate. <laughs> it's great to have you today. <laughs> it's great to be here. <laughs> so, my girls were at youth group recently, and you came to youth group as a guest speaker, yeah. and you taught about why we can trust the Bible. And my daughter, Violet, said it was one of the best messages she ever heard. And uh, apparently, you didn't know that my kids were there. <laughs> no. Yeah, that was a wild moment. Yeah, it was really special for me to be here and to uh, teach the high school, I guess, the youth group kids knowing like what you said, that I would also come to youth group when I was in high school. And I actually went to the high school that I teach at, Nate, and you came and would speak at our chapels. That's right. And that's how I first got to know you was, you know, you teaching out of the Old Testament and making the Bible come alive. And that was really special for me mm. and um, actually kind of ignited my passion for understanding scripture at an earlier age. And so I was kind of um, casually explaining this to some of the students who came up to talk to me afterwards about, you know, hey, this is my association with Calvary. And then the girls go, oh yeah, hey, uh, that's my dad. That's my dad. <laughs> it was pretty cool. <laughs> it was very nice for me because, you know, it's, it's good for them to hear somebody else say like, this guy's this guy's good. We like this guy. <laughs> yes. So thanks for backing me up. Oh yeah, no they, problem. They give me plenty of a hard time, so that was nice. Yeah. Nice to hear. But I, I want to ask you, you know, before we talk about the 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 subject of mm -hmm. why we can trust the Bible, and I just as a teaser to everybody listening to this, this is not your typical why should we trust the Bible uh, teaching that yeah. you gave. You know, I thought it was going to be all about, you know, the veracity of the manuscripts from the Old Testament mm -hmm. and, you know, stuff like that, which is incredible and totally. good. And we've got great uh, ground that we're standing on as Christians. Yeah. But you came at it, I think, from a more emotional, like, why should I, why should I follow the Bible instead of perhaps my emotions or the current cultural opinions, whatever that is at any given time. So I'm really looking forward to talking to you about that. But before that, I just want to talk to you about kind of your journey in um, getting into the word, studying theology yeah. and just like, this is a really cool thing that you're about to finish your master's degree. Yeah. And, you know, <laughs> this, you're, you're throwing your life into being a communicator of God's word yeah. and helping the next generation primarily at this point, you know, learn it yeah. and understand it. So how did that grow <laughs> in you? And 
what were some of the key like decision-making points along the way? Yeah. Oh, man. Um, well, like I already mentioned, going to a discipleship-oriented high school was probably one of the main um key experiences that God blessed me with in my interest in the Bible. Like Mm -hmm. I was a high school student and I now teach high school students. And so I was wrestling with the same things that they are wrestling with. And as I started to question my own feelings and culture and my friends, you know, why should I listen to this person and not this person? Or why should I trust my feelings or what I'm being told, you know, in the media and why should I trust the Bible? As I started asking those questions of myself and finding answers in scripture and it started to not just make sense to me, but actually change my life. Mm-hmm. It was, it was like, okay, so I can't like ignore this anymore. Mm. I, I need to really follow this path. And that informed the college that I went to and that informed the, uh, you know, major that I chose and that informed the career that I chose. And it was, I mean, if I ever question, like, am I, am I in in God's will? Am I following his voice? I can look back and be like, okay, thank you, Jesus. You have led me. Like you've never Mm -hmm. failed me. Mm -hmm. And uh, I never would have thought that I would come back and teach um, Bible at the high school that I went to, but it was a uncommunicated desire of my heart. Yeah. Yeah. And so, um, yeah, it's, it's been a, it's been a journey, but as far as this conversation about, you know, why trust scripture, I learned pretty early on that I was a pretty emo kid, (laughs) Like, (laughs) like in high school. Um, even after giving my life fully to Jesus, I realized that I have some big feelings and sometimes those feelings are in opposition to what God is calling me to do. Right. <laughs> right. And, you know, feelings aren't bad. Like the Psalms are super emo, you know, like, come on. Absolutely. <laughs> They're like angry and like bumming at times. Yeah. And so it's not that feelings are bad, but when we let our feelings guide us, sometimes they can oppose the things that God is calling us to do. And even how we think about ourselves, how we think about others, how we treat people, and even our instincts. You know, if I'm angry, my instincts might tell me to scream my mother and I'm like Mm. okay don't think Jesus wants me to do that so how can I navigate listening to my feelings but not letting them make my decisions for me and let God's word inform how I'm supposed to make my decisions Mm. and so that was the kind of the journey there and as I found truth in God's word I started following it and trusting it I'm like okay this is actually working out way better for me Mm. than what I was doing previously. Hmm. Um, this is working out better for me than my friends just kind of making decisions based on their feelings um, hmm. and or what culture is telling them to do. Hmm. And so that that confirmed continuously my trust in scripture. And that was really yeah. exciting. Yeah, I love that. So it seems to me like, and it, it, it just sounds to me like a, at a young age, God put like, there's that, that verse in, in Jeremiah where he talks about like a fire in my inside me, you know, like it's just burning within. And I've often kind of felt that way just about like, yeah, I've got to talk about this book. I've got to share this book. And it sounds like God was doing that for you. And so, but before we get into (laughs) some of the, like the kind of building off of what you shared about, uh, you know, feelings versus, uh, the scripture. Yeah. Yeah. I do want to ask you if it's okay, you know, what has been your experience being a woman who says, <laughs> I want to study theology, like yeah. I want to geek out on all that stuff, you know, like, have you, have you felt ever like resistance in the church? Have you felt like you've gotten a little side eye? Like, why aren't you just talking about like, you know, devotional, like material all the time? Why are you, why are you getting into this high theology? Like, have you battled that? Yeah, dude, it's interesting. Um, because I think some people might be inclined to believe that the, um, that the women who face opposition generally would come from a, a complementarian kind of church, but that, I mean, that's what I believe what Calvary lands and yeah. you were one of the first people that made me feel not weird for mm. studying scripture. And, um, so I think it's less about that and, and more about how, um, how about we view the value of women in theology and, um, how we talk about women in theology. Yeah. And so, at a young age, the the high school I went to, 
and the churches I was involved with, I didn't feel opposition. I felt encouraged. Um, I felt empowered. I, um, I felt uh, excited to explore those things. Unfortunately, it was actually in my adult life, and I am grateful for this, that I think that um, God uh, did protect me and guide me and had me unlearn some unhealthy views, mm. but uh, the, the school that I ended up going to my un, for my undergrad okay. was not helpful in that area. Yeah. Um, so, and I don't have to share that, but yeah, yeah sure. <laughs> that, was, that was frustrating and difficult, and it, it was more like, well, you know, the one's highest calling is to be a wife and a mother. And if you're neither of those things, then like, you probably should just not talk about theology. Mm. Um, and like, I don't know, like go be a missionary or like go get married and marriage and motherhood is so amazing and so beautiful. I have been married for almost 10 years now. I love my life with my husband. Um, but that's not my highest calling. My highest calling is like what you guys talk about here is to make yeah. Jesus famous. Yeah. Like that is actually the highest calling of every Christian. And so I have faced discouragement, um, especially when talking to my uh, students. One of my biggest passions is saying, okay, what are the things that I wish that I was told when I was in college as I was excited about the scriptures and how might that have informed um, my pursuit of like, maybe I would have studied, um, I don't know, maybe I would have still done counseling or maybe I would have actually pursued uh, theology in a more serious way and I wouldn't have waited 10 years. I graduated college in 2010. Yeah. <laughs> I started seminary in 2020. <laughs> yeah, a little it's a gap decade. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but it and it was um, you know, godly older men in my life that actually challenged me lovingly, humbly and said, "Hey, have you examine the scriptures in this way. Do you, do you really think that God would give you a passion for understanding and teaching scripture if he didn't want you to use it? And mm. you know, that's not to mm. say that we just do whatever we feel like doing. Of course, we're talking about the, how we, how mm. we don't do that. Um, but man, is this making Jesus famous? Is this helping people trust God more? Is this helping people trust the Bible more? And if so, there's probably a way that God wants you to use that gift that he's given you. Yeah. So I have faced, I have faced opposition, um, I have struggled internally. I never ever wanted to be that girl. It's like, I want to do what all the boys can do. And so I'm just, I didn't want to be a person of pride, you know? Mm. And so I just kind of was like, I guess I'll just shuffle back over here and not say anything. Mm. Um, but praise God for the men in my life. My husband being one of them, Jared Weaver, who's the head of the Bible department at Trinity mm. is another one. Grant Combs is another one. Dan Kimball, pastor of Vintage Faith. Like I'm naming these people because they were important to me and yeah. helping me um, obey God in this. Yeah. Awesome. I praise the Lord for it because you are a huge gift to the Monterey Peninsula. And, you know, it's not an easy place to be a Christian, yeah. I don't think, you know, yeah. and uh, I've lived here my whole life and we're definitely not in the majority. It's a, you know, it's a chill place. So we don't get, you know, lots of loud opposition, but um, we need people like you to be pouring into uh, boys and girls, young and yeah, old to yeah. help us, you know, get who Jesus is and move in the right direction. So thanks. Thank Dave. you for letting yeah. me ask yeah. that because, <laughs> you know, I think having three girls in my house, just watching them grow up, you know, just, uh, it's like, I, that's my favorite thing is to talk about theology oh, with totally. them, talk about the Lord with them and see the lights go on and see the way that they think about things. And I was just telling Christina the other day, it's like, I just feel like I'm in such a good place right now with even the um, leadership team that's around yeah. me here at the church awesome. where I'm starting to see probably more than ever um, really gifted women that God is using in some special ways that like I've been waiting for dudes to do some of that stuff for a <laughs> yeah. long time and it's just not been anybody's skill set yet yeah right and to see them kind of rising to the surface has been so fun cool. for me so thank you for doing what you're yeah. doing so you talked to me a little bit about your heart to help uh, christians see scripture mm -hmm. as a more trustworthy source of guidance than feelings instincts desires or culture yeah. and it caught my attention just when i saw that in the teaching that you gave those four things mm -hmm. you know feelings mm -hmm instincts, desires, or culture. Mm -hmm. Is it cool if I ask you to kind of unpack those a little bit for us? Yeah, no, totally. Um, the, the first one, feelings, 
feelings and instincts sometimes can be equated, but I, I don't think they're the same thing. Um, and we can talk about that in a bit, but I don't, want anyone listening to get the impression that like I believe the Bible teaches that we should deny our feelings or pretend they don't exist mm-hmm. or push them down or that they're bad or evil and like I was sharing earlier in some uh, Christian subcultures I think that message is you know either intentionally or unintentionally given that feelings are your enemy yeah and that's I don't see the Bible teaching that yeah. I mean you see we're about to celebrate Passion Week Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane he's like so emotionally moved that he's like you know <laughs> sweating blood basically yeah. like that's an emotional experience so clearly emotions are given by God just like so many other things in our lives our relationships and our desires which we'll talk about in a bit but yeah feelings are not bad but feelings are not our guide feelings are mm. not God and so you know, why should our feelings not guide us? Well, because, you know, they, they lie to us. There's another Christian teacher friend of mine who actually uh, works at a public school, but does student leadership, which I also do at Trinity. And something we kind of talk about and we share with our students and remind ourselves is this a phrase is that feelings are not bad. Feelings can be awesome, but they're not reliable to tell us the truth and Mm. they can even lie to us. Mm. And so that's kind of the crux of the issue that, um, they, Feelings should not be our guiding principle for how we view ourselves or others, and definitely not how we should um, to uh, guide how we treat others. Like, um, I think it's important to pay attention to our feelings and feel them, don't ignore them, but examine them. Mm-hmm. The same thing that, you know, if we read something on the internet, we're like, we ask ourselves, well, what's the source? Like, where is this coming from? Mm-hmm. If it's someone's blog and they're not an expert, we might. Ho- Hopefully we would not weigh it as much as if we read it from like someone who's been studying this field for like 20 years, Mm -hmm. right? Where's the source of it coming from? Where's the source of our feelings? Like, why am I feeling irritable right now? Did I forget to eat dinner? (laughs) Or am I um, feeling a certain way about how my husband spoke to me or like the words he used or the tone Mm -hmm. he said? So yeah, don't ignore those feelings. Like your feelings might tell us, okay, I need to eat something. Like I need to put something in my body or, oh man, maybe I need to go have a conversation with my husband and tell him how I feel and what might be a better way to talk about that subject in the future. And our feelings aren't an excuse to sin obviously ever, but I think that if we acknowledge our feelings and we're not like embarrassed by them or pretend they don't exist, they can actually help us confront our sin Mm. and move away from it and um, move into a healthier direction and become more like Christ, right? Um, They're not our enemy. They're not something to be embarrassed by, but they can be a helpful tool that God can use to help shape us. That's a great way of describing what feelings are like and what feelings do. And I Mm. I was just talking with Dan actually before you arrived and uh, he was asking me just about my morning routine and everything. And I was just sharing with him that a component that I've added recently, I've never really been a journaler. Mm. Like I've always had a notebook where when I'm having my morning time, you know, in the word, I'm writing down thoughts or prayers or whatever. But a friend of mine was talking to me about his kind of just like journaling process where every day he just kind of recapped the day before. And uh, I had a kind of mentor recently share with me, like, it's really important for somebody like you to get in touch with, like, how you're feeling Mm. about the different things that are happening in your life. So I just started journaling as kind of like a way to catalog not just the moments of my life, but how how did that impact me in that moment? And you're so right. I mean, it's... It's almost like, oh, I, I know why I haven't done that before because it <laughs> reveals so much of the muck yes. inside me <laughs> yeah. that, you know, it's pointing to a, an area that the spirit is trying to sanctify and grow and change in me. So yeah. I, I love that you're talking about it. And I, I think I just wanted to throw that in there because I think in maybe even some of those settings where it's it's about faith, not feeling, it's about <laughs> <Right>? fact, not feeling <laughs> yeah, like yeah. those kind of settings I think a lot of times there's also been this, um, you know, maybe maybe believed without saying it or maybe even saying it that like, oh, well, like the feeling thing, that's that's like a woman's deal. Totally. And men don't uh, really have that experience. We're very analytical and, you know, or whatever. And uh, the reality is like, I know 
plenty of guys, myself included, who feelings is a strong part of things. I remember reading in Simon Sinek's The Power of mm. Why. And like that's that's the way that he's talking about how these CEOs lead. They basically follow their gut all the time, you know. <laughs> yeah, so yeah. I'm not advising that that's yeah. the way to go, but it was an interesting angle. It's not yeah. we're not always these analytical people that we think we are. So so feeling and then you talked about so do you want to wait till later to talk about instinct and the difference between feeling and instinct? Or are <laughs> we you can ready talk to... about that okay. in, a, in a minute, okay. but I just love that you brought up the journaling thing because that is a tool that God used in my early you know, years with Jesus to, like you said, the spirit would reveal these things to me like, oh my gosh, like I have jealousy about this I, towards this friend and right. that's why I've been rude to her. Yeah. Or like I'm, you know, bitter at my mom because she like paid attention more to my sister in this conversation, like those kinds of things. And it would convict me, mm. but it w I had to acknowledge my feelings first. Yeah. And I didn't let them control me or guide me. Yeah. And I've got, of course I did not do this perfectly, but like it was a tool that, um, I believe God, uh, used and wants to use in our lives. But yeah, if we deny that they exist, then, oh my gosh, now we're robbing ourselves from like that vulnerability with the Holy Spirit and how yeah. God wants to you know, shape us. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So some people, you know, there's feelings that's good to be in touch with, but then you also have instincts, mm -hmm. uh, in, in this teaching. And when I first saw that, I thought, okay, I can't wait to ask her about that. Cause what's the difference? Yeah, exactly. And some people ask that I have had conversations, especially with, um, friends who are agnostic or, uh, not believers, they say, yeah, well, I don't let my feelings guide me either, but I do trust my gut instincts. Like we are mammals, you know, we are given gut instincts to help us survive. And I think that's certainly true. Like I talked about, you know, you feel hunger, you feed yourself, you know, even fear can help protect us mm -hmm. from danger. And that's a good thing. But sometimes those gut instincts actually can lead us astray. Um, and so I, in the, in the talk, here, I gave this uh, example and I show a picture of a very, very cute animal called a tree ocelot. Okay. <laughs> have, you, have you seen I've a never tree? seen one. <laughs> Honestly, I do think they're one of the cutest creatures. We're going to link <laughs> to a photo in the description. <laughs> oh gosh, please do, actually. <laughs> so yeah, the, uh, the tree ocelot um, uses instincts in the animal kingdom to trick other animals to have dinner. And so the tree ocelot would imitate the call of baby monkeys and like make this high pitched squeal that I'm not going to attempt because that would be super annoying. Um, and so then the monkeys that are nearby think, oh no, like one of my babies has escaped. I need to go rescue it. And they get away from the family of monkeys and then they become the tree ocelot's oh, wow. dinner. So they're following their instincts. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And so, um, that is just one example in the animal kingdom, but there's a, there's a bunch like this is in Brazil where this, you know, these animals mostly are. And so the, the locals actually say that ocelots aren't the only wild cats who do the same thing. They've heard jaguars, cougars, other rainforest animals copying the sounds of local birds and rodents to do the exact same thing. And so they're relying on their instincts and then they end up, you know, becoming someone's dinner. And so even science shows us that instincts don't always have our best interest in mind. Mm. And again, it's not that we should ignore them, but that we can't always rely on them to tell us what is best for us. Yeah. And so that is just an example I like to use when people try to separate feelings and instincts. Mm -hmm. And I think they're slightly different, but there is some overlap to say, okay, sure. If you want to differentiate them, fine, but they still don't always uh, lead us into truth either. No, I like that. It's like you're kind of with instincts. It's about these base drives yeah. that we have as humans. Yeah. So what are, if I could follow up with that, mm -hmm. some, uh, I, you don't need to throw your high school students under the bus or anything, <laughs> but what are some of the common, <laughs> what are some common instinct oriented mm -hmm. decisions that we Oof. as humans make that you've observed? Oh man. Um, like probably, uh, one of the biggest ones is in, um, conversations and the instinct to like, I, I kind of threw myself under the bus, the instinct that I need to let out my anger, um, or I'm going to explode yeah. and then letting out your anger on another person. Yeah. Um, and so like, you know, it's my, it's my natural human instinct. Like I just need to X, Y, Z or like, um, I just need to, I just need to get out of this room. I just yeah. like, I, you know, like I'm going to explode. And there is something to be said about like, sometimes we need to remove ourselves from a situation and like calm down and that's good. But 
we are more than our instincts. Like God has created us in his image and we don't have to be a slave to our instincts. And so the goal is to work towards not letting our instincts like drive us. Mm. And I mean, that's to use an easy one. Like we talk about, you know, oh, we're mammals, like a sexual instinct. Like it's like, okay, so then (laughs) uh, what is that? what does that say about our relationships? Like, what does that say about our families? You know? Um, and like most people would say like, actually, no, like I want a partner who's going to be faithful to me, but it's like, well, if you're just a mammal and you're using your instincts, like then why, why should they be? For thousands of years, there's been some level of instinct restraint in order to build beautiful societies (laughs) and a a great world to live in. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. No, that's, yeah, that's, that's well put. Okay. So there's instincts and then you talk about deep, desires that can be destructive yeah yeah we're getting real nuanced here we've got the feelings the instincts (laughs) and the deep desires so what's what's that what's that alluding to so yet again um i believe that god gives us like scripture says the desires of our heart when they're in line with jesus so so desires are again not a bad thing Hmm. but tim keller is you know one of my favorite authors i think he's brilliant um are you familiar with counterfeit gods of course okay all right great so before i taught i teach out of a different book now with my seniors i taught out of counterfeit gods for, I don't know, four or five years. And he has this incredible quote. I'm just going to quote it. It's, I think it's like on page one, <laughs> but it's, it's so powerful. Um, he says, we search endlessly for ways to acquire the things we desire, and we are willing to sacrifice much to achieve them. We never imagined that getting our heart's deepest desires might be the worst thing that can mm. ever happen to us. Mm. And it seems like a paradox, but his point is that when we get the thing that we most wanted in life that we were obsessing over, then it becomes our whole life. Mm. And so we are willing to do anything to keep it. It Mm. becomes our identity, our purpose. We put our worth in it. Mm. And that's how people start to justify sin and justify really terrible habits or toxic behaviors. Um, That's how you get helicopter parents. That's how you get CEOs who are embezzling money. That's how you like get addictions is because the one thing that you wanted so badly you finally got it. And now Mm. you feel like if you lose it, your life is over. There's Mm. nothing worth living for anymore. Mm. Um, There was a person who came to speak to our students. Um, His his testimony is public, so I'm not sharing any personal information, but Marcus McFalling is his name. He was a football player. He wanted more than anything uh, to be in uh, the NFL. Mm. And to make a very long, complicated story short, he finally was about to do that. And in the practice, like the preseason practice, he got severely injured that he couldn't, he could not play. Mm. And, um, so he's like, okay, I just got to recover. And they ended up giving him, um, fentanyl. I'm saying that wrong probably, but yeah. And that was in what, 2009 or such. So it didn't have the stigma it has now. Like now we know a lot about it. This dude had like never smoked a cigarette or like he didn't drink alcohol and he became a drug addict. Mm. Um, but he used that to mask the pain of not having the dream that he wanted. I mean, he was a husband, yeah. he was a dad. Eventually his wife called the cops on him and he said it's one of the most loving things that ever happened because he went in jail and he got clean. He rededicated his life to Jesus. Amazing, incredible wow. testimony. But, his, but the thing he said to the students was, I made football my life. Mm. Jesus was not my life. Mm. And so when football was like, no longer a thing that I could do. I felt like I lost my identity and lost my purpose Mm. where I should have been like, all right, God, this sucks. (laughs) Like, this is not great. I don't like this. What do you have next for me? I Mm. thought it was this. Apparently it's something else. Please help me to have the strength to get through this really, really hard season. But instead he was like, well, football was my life. And so I felt like I had nothing worth living for. Yeah. Wow. That's I love the way that you frame the whole thing there. And it's like, as you're talking about it, I'm just thinking, Gosh, this is, I'm sure you could say this about all these categories or a lot of these categories that you're bringing up, but this is one of those categories where, man, you can be right in the throes of being in Christian fellowship and community and look super good compared to everybody else and be like right there, just totally addicted to one of these. I mean, you can be, you could be potentially like a mega fruitful pastor who like everybody loves, but you're just this desire for uh, whatever it is, whether it's attention or accolades or people thinking a certain way about you can be the thing that's just leading to your inward decay and demise. Or like you brought up about parenting. It's Mm -hmm. like, uh, so these, uh, a lot of these desires are just, they're good desires in their proper order and place. Yeah. Okay. So that's, that's really cool. (laughs) All right. So up to this point, you know, we've been 
uh, I love conversations like this because um, we have talked a lot of Bible so far in this conversation, but we haven't been giving like chapter and verse, no, you know, yeah. like as it says, you <laughs> yeah, know, right. but Bible has been all over this conversation. I'm picking it up as you're talking. Um, but maybe we could more specifically drill down into scripture a little bit okay. and think about those categories that yeah. you've laid out that, you know, we need to be balanced about, we need to watch out for, mm-hmm. but what does the Bible say about each one of these categories? So the first one that you mentioned, feelings, yeah. what are some of the things that you found in the word about feelings? Yeah. Um, well, like I did mention earlier, that Psalms are full of feelings. We see feelings in the person of Jesus, but, uh, like we talked about journaling, right? Mm-hmm. So when we see the authors of the Psalms, they are very raw and very real about their feelings. But, oh my gosh, at the end of those, they say, but I trust in your name, but I rejoice, but Lord, you are with me. I am never alone. And I'm not giving you a chapter and verse. Yeah. <laughs> I don't have them in front yeah. of me, but that is the refrain. It is, let me get it all out to you, God, because you're God and you can handle it. And so whether that's in journaling or whether that's in prayer or even like talking out loud in prayer, like that, there's something cathartic about actually, you know, feeling like you're on the phone with God, like driving in your car, just talking sure. out loud. Um, and then reminding ourselves, but my feelings are not where I stay. I yeah. let something bigger and greater than my feelings give me the conclusion about what I'm going to do now with mm-hmm. them. And I think that if, you know, I me as a 15, 16 year old getting super in my feels and uh, having hard times with friends and family at 15, 16 years old, the Psalms were like a balm to my mm-hmm. heart. Mm-hmm. I was like, David felt this way. And David mm-hmm. was like an important Bible guy. You know, mm-hmm. it was so special. And I felt the freedom to be that real with God about my feelings, mm-hmm. but not let them control me. So I would say spending time in the Psalms and see how the authors of the Psalms um, wrestled with their feelings. You know, that would be something that I would say is uh, what scripture informs us, how we should handle them as well. Mm. I love that. I think I would, I would, if I'm just thinking about it, like, what are some of the things the Bible says about feeling <laughs> yeah. uh, a couple places I would go? Like I would be thinking about, um, the, so many of the Pauline prayers, like they oh, always yeah. astound me, you know, I mean, for one, they astound me cause he's like, I'm praying for this guy, this guy, this guy, this guy, this guy, this guy. <laughs> it's like, Oh man, I need a better prayer list. But I love how when he prays for the church, he's like praying for these heart level epiphany oriented kind of things, you know? And so like feelings are a really big part of that. He's saying he's not just this dry theologian saying here, here's what you need to like at the bottom, sign your name that you believe these things. He's saying, I want you to, I want you to feel these truths. So I love that. I do love those Psalms that you mentioned. I, there's a, I can't remember the, the, the uh, numbers of them, but there's five or six that don't end well, True. you know, they, oh, they, the- <laughs> they never come back. And I always think about that process. Like you wrote the song and then somehow it went into circulation and the scribes and everyone were like, you know what, this one's gotta be in there. Cause it, it kind of shows like, like this isn't a good place to stay, but sometimes we go there, <laughs> yeah, you know, like totally. I love that. So, okay. That's great. So yeah. feelings, um, what are some of the things that you found in scripture about, uh, desires? You know, you oh, talked yeah. about those, like those inner, uh, sometimes they're good things that just can't be God things, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. but, uh, those inner desires, how, how, what does scripture say about that? Yeah. Um, I mean, I think some of the most like well-known verses is that you trust in the Lord with your heart and like, he will guide your steps. Like he will give you the desires of your heart. Like we know those verses, or at least we like can remember them and we've heard them before. And scripture tells us that while we can't trust our heart, like, you know, um, I think it's Jeremiah that talks about our heart Mm -hmm. being desperately wicked. Like we can't really even understand our own hearts at times. Well, God tells us he'll give us a new heart. Like that's yeah. what the Holy Spirit does. Yeah. And so when we surrender our desires, God promises to actually give us new desires. And yeah. so we're like, okay, God, I really want this thing. But like Jesus says, you know, not my will, but yours be done. And if like, we're trying to be like Jesus, like probably one of the best prayers we can pray is that one. This is what I desire. God, I think, I think you put the desire in my heart, Mm. but having that humility with open hands, like whether that's to have a child or to get married or to pursue a certain career saying this is desire. I think it's from you, God, but if it is not show me how it is 
like self uh, focused, show me what a better desire for my life is. Mm-hmm. And, you know, communicating with the Holy Spirit and being open to that. I think God just, God wants us to trust him and have a real relationship with him. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't think that God ever wants to trick us. Like I remember being so nervous about if I said yes to a job or a romantic relationship or something. And I'm like, but what if it's not the right one? Mm-hmm. And, um, my, uh, high school teacher, my Bible teacher, Jill Hudson, um, she said, you know, God's, God's not trying to trick you. Like if you have multiple good options, choose one. And if God wants you to do something else, trust that he will open your eyes and guide you out of that into mm-hmm. something better. And it's okay. <laughs> and that was like, whew, like, okay, like if I'm actually not like actively in sin or like pursuing, like I'm going to do this because of money or I'm going to do this because of what, you know, that's not my motive. Like I am going to trust that God is giving me the desires of my heart. Like scripture teaches as long as I keep him at the focus. Yes. Amen. I'm just trying to look up right now because I just, (laughs) I finished a book recently about, and it was about decision-making and, uh, you know, as a Christian, it was called demystifying decision-making by Amy Joseph. But uh, it, it it didn't totally grab me as like a, a, a person. Like it didn't, I'm not struggling with sure, sure. decision making. It was just more like, oh, I'll, that's an interesting title. Totally. I'll check that out. But she made some of those same points, yeah. you know, just that, you know, God is, uh, he's pretty big. He, he, can, <laughs> yeah. he can do this. Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, desires, desires. I, I feel like that... Uh, that Jeremiah passage, you know, the heart is deceitfully yeah. wicked. Who can know it? That has been used, I think, uh, almost a little too much totally. uh, by, you know, pastors or <laughs> leaders, you know, it's, yeah. it's just so tempting. It's like, you're, you're dealing with somebody who's, they're just all up in their feels to uh-huh. quote you, you know? And it's like, Oh, you just want to tell them like, you just can't trust yourself, you know, <laughs> yeah, just, yeah. just stop thinking that you know what's best, but you're so right. Like the new covenant is, and this is what the prophets of old were anticipating yes. for so many years is that a day is coming where God's going to write his law on my heart. Yes. He's going to change me from the inside out. So is there ever a time uh, where it's like a person kind of needs to do, I don't know, I just find sometimes with me, I need to do deeper investigative work on what the desire I have really is. Oh, heck yeah. You know, it's like, there's a, there's the surface level stuff. And then it's like, but there's, there's, there's things beyond and deeper than that, that are actually like the God things, you know, do you ever find that or? Yeah. I mean, I think that's partially why two things we've talked about so far uh, today are important is whatever it looks like for you, getting alone with the Holy Spirit, like that true, honest, vulnerable, raw communication with God. Mm-hmm. Like you said, the, the new covenant is that God's word is in our hearts yeah. and that Jesus gave us the Holy Spirit saying, I am sending someone who will be with you always. I got to go be with the father, but here, here is my spirit for you. You're never mm-hmm. alone. Do we believe that or not? Yeah. You know, and I think sometimes we don't because we don't actually take advantage of the fact that we can communicate with God and we can commune with the Holy Spirit at any point in time. And so having those very vulnerable conversations with the Holy Spirit, God already knows. So why are we so hesitant to communicate it? And then having vulnerable people, like we talked about a community, to actually kind of bounce it off. So like when my students ask me, how do I know God's will for my life? Like usually it's about where to go to college. (laughs) You know, I'm like, okay, this sounds practical. It's probably, you know, the bazillionth time you've heard me say this search the scriptures, get along with God and pray, and then talk to close, trusted Christian friends and mentors and say, this is what I'm feeling. This is what I'm thinking. This is what I think my desire is. Do you see any thing in this that is like selfish or could not be honoring to God, you know? And if we don't want to ask those questions, like what are we actually afraid of? Are we afraid that person's going to judge us? Or maybe they're actually not really a trustworthy person. Maybe Mm -hmm. we should question the people that we are letting influence us, you know? So Mm -hmm. even that process is good for us, I think. Yeah. I love it. And I think God will place these like pillar desires in us over time, but we got to be patient, walk with the Lord. He'll build those. Okay. So, uh, going back to the, uh, different categories. Mm -hmm. So we've talked about some Bible verses and passages about feelings and desires. What about, um, the 
instincts. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you talked about kind of some of those human drives. What yeah. does scripture say yeah. about that? I actually have some verses for this one. <laughs> I don't know it. what I did for this one. But uh, I think I did mention this is that human beings, while we are biologically mammals, we are more than mammals. Like we are made in the image of God. Cats are super cute, but they're not made in the image of God. Right. And that's special. And we need to not ignore that. Um, scripture talks about fighting against the flesh. And I think that's part of it. A lot of times we think about the flesh just as being sin, but I think it is also those gut instincts that it's about protecting myself Mm. and what makes sense to me in the moment. Right. Um, and coming under the leading of the spirit, like, that is what we're called to do. And the Holy Spirit enables us to do that. And so I think, um, so the, some of the verses I have here are Galatians 5, 16, Romans 8, um, 2 Timothy 1, 7, that we are supposed to be led by the desires of the spirit, not by mm. the instincts of the flesh. Mm. Um, the only way to do that, obviously, is to like spend time in scripture, spend time with the Holy Spirit. Um, it, and like you said, like it's a process. It is not going yeah. to happen overnight. And we yeah. will get frustrated like, oh my gosh, like I had a harsh tone again, or like I had a, and like my fleshly instincts are making it really, really hard to have self-control or to stay focused. Mm. Um, but to acknowledge those things, you know, like we're not, uh, <laughs> our, our temptations are not the same thing as sin. And I always tell my students, it's a lot better to confess temptation than to confess sin. Mm. Cause when we confess temptation, like we can fight against it. Yeah. But when we pretend that there it's not there, then that's when it can become something that can enslave us. That's good. That's good. I was, I think I mentioned Trevin Wax's name earlier, but he, or maybe it was just when we were talking before we hit record, but, uh, <laughs> he talks about counter, um, habits that we need to form yeah. as Christians to help us with some of our instinctual yeah. kind of drives and desires. So you like, for example, would talk about like, let's say a person, I don't know, struggles with being like overly consumed with politics. Like, Ooh. can you imagine somebody <laughs> like that? No, um, never. No. And like, so that's their thing. They've kind of like self-identified it, you know, like that's, that's like my, my instinct is to pick up my phone and like just doom scroll. scroll. (laughs) My, my instinct is to, you know, turn on the news first thing each day or, you know, have talk radio going while I'm driving around the car. Um, and he, he, but so his point is, uh, when you identify some of those instinctual things that you are uniquely prone to you have to actually form uh, habits that are that the spirit can take mm-hmm. and kind of drive you in a different direction mm-hmm. so maybe a person like that says like well I'm going to put something on my phone which like disables the internet oh, in the yeah. morning so that when I get up mm-hmm. I can't like see what's happening yeah. and I'm yeah. forced to do what I, I want to do spend yeah. time with the Lord or um, I'm going to, I don't, I don't know if Sirius XM is like a thing anymore, but I'm going to cancel my subscription or whatever, you yeah, know, yeah. like different things like that, that will, will help. So, okay. Yeah. I love that. Well, just to go yeah. off on that, your, your, that example is exactly what we're talking about because that is someone who is letting scripture inform their instincts instead of letting their instincts guide all of their decisions. I was talking about this with my students recently, like Paul writes, I don't know in what book it talks about, Hey, stop the sin, but replace it with something that is of the spirit. Let the thief, you know, what does it say? Stop stealing and like work with his hands and the person who's lying, stop lying and start speaking the truth to his neighbor. Like you have to replace the thing that you are stopping with something good and God honoring and loving. Otherwise you're just going to find something else that your instincts or feelings are going to, going to fill in with it. Yes. Amen. Amen. Yeah. It's not just a, there's like an old Saturday night life sketch where it was like a psychologist and his whole thing was just stop Stop. it. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) It's not that No. it's life in the spirit. Okay. Mm -hmm. And then, uh, scripture when it comes to the modern versions of morality or culture, like what the culture is saying, you know, what are, what are Christians supposed to do? Are we just supposed to like, you know, like start a new <laughs> town somewhere? Like what, what are we supposed uh, to do? <laughs> no, don't even get me started on that. Absolutely not. No, like we can't, sometimes in the Christian world, we think of culture as like a bad thing or a bad word. Yeah. But Jesus was born into a culture. Yeah. Like Jesus had an ethnicity. Jesus yeah. had a, a neighborhood, you know, like 
Culture is part of how God works, so we cannot remove ourselves from the culture. Um, we are called to actually apply the truths of scripture that have been around for thousands of years to our culture. You know, like why do we not wear head coverings as women to church? Well, because of the culture. Yeah. We take what the intent was from the authors of scripture who are inspired by God. Like what was the point? Oh, it's about not drawing attention to yourself. Like it's about modesty. It's yeah. all of those things. So we have to be aware of culture. What is the culture way to do that yes. now? Yeah. Yes, exactly. So that's kind of um, what I always remind my listeners or my students when we're talking about this is you, you got to kind of do the work, but it's so worth it. Mm. What is the culture God has placed me in that I was born, you know, in this day and age with this uh, kind of attitude of around me, you know, with this kind of technology, you know, in California, whatever it is. And how am I going to apply the truth of scripture to this culture? And, and I think we also need to have humility. We're not always going to get it right. Yeah. We're, we're allowed to actually say, I'm, I'm not sure. Um, mm. But it's a lot better than saying, I know for sure. And also now I'm going to um, use this as a litmus test to say whether someone is a true Christian or not. Yeah. You yeah. know, whether that be on like the age of the earth or whatever, you know, yeah. like things like that. Like we, t- we were talking before the podcast about secondary issues. Yeah. I think that we should move away from that, but also not apologize when we say things like, Actually, I, I, I do think Jesus is God, and I, and I don't think this crystal gives me special powers. Mm. Amen. <laughs> you know, like, what, to, to give an easy example, yep. I guess. Yeah. A good local Monterey Peninsula yeah. uh, <laughs> reference. Yeah, it, uh, there's that old, um, that old adage, you know, that when it comes to culture, Christians, we, can, we have to kind of analyze, like, are, is this something in culture that I can receive you know, uh, unaltered, yeah. unchanged. So like good coffee, you know, totally. like, so glad. Oh, heck yeah. Love a good pour over. And then <laughs> is it something that, you know, by God's grace, I can redeem, you know, maybe there might be like forms of art or something Ooh, like yeah. that or music, music that yeah. it's like, oh, you know, there's just a certain little bit of work you got to do to make sure it's okay. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then, uh, are there portions of that I just have to reject you know totally you know so receive redeem reject I always like that uh, little paradigm but uh yeah there was that movement for a while some people still are like latch on to it but back but back when I was growing up in like the 80s and the 90s there was like this you know people would talk about color blindness and that that was like a thing that we were supposed to do such a good example yeah and it's like here's Wait, here we have this god who's like i made all these people like, and i made purpose. all these cultures and then and then when heaven comes there's going to be all these nations and yeah. tribes and tongues and it's going to be glorious and then we kind of are like let's pretend it doesn't exist so then we, yeah so we're, what we're doing then is rejecting yeah. a thing that god is saying I want to, sometimes you just wholesale receive it. And then uh, because of sin, there are things that need to be redeemed yes. out of it. Um, but doing that, that work is, is really important. Yeah. So it's like, it's okay, Christian, you know, young person, if you're like, man, I really like like downtown Portland or whatever, you know, and it seems like my, my youth pastor is telling me that like, Yes, you're not. You're not allowed to like places like that. Like there might be things about it that yeah, you're yeah, like, yeah. whoa, like people are cool and they're doing cool things. They're made in the image of God. That's why that's happening. Yeah. So don't panic. Did you mention Portland because of me? I did not. That's are amazing. You... I have two more, two former students up there, and I was just up there. Oh, nice. Yeah, I love nice. it. Okay. Happy accident. <laughs> All right. So we've talked about you know scripture with all these things. So let's wrap it up yep. with. Just talking about when it comes to guidance for life, uh, how should we view the Bible? Like, you know, where does, so we've, we've thought about, you know, all these like interior and exterior things that kind of influence us in our decision making, which is, which is great to think about because mm-hmm. it's like, oh yeah, we're not as, um, self-expressive as we think we are. We're influenced <laughs> by so many things. Yes. So since we are, where does the Bible come in and uh, how should we view it? How can it lead our lives? Yeah. um, Well, for a follower of Jesus, you know, we believe that God created us and created us for a purpose and that his words are the source of how 
to learn that purpose. And, you know, we talk about making Jesus famous, but also being created as individuals. Like the Bible is not um, just like instructions for life. It's a lot more than that. It's Mm. like the story of God's people and his story of redemption and a relationship with him. Um, But it, it doesn't not contain that. Mm. And uh, if we believe that the words of the Bible are inspired, purposeful and authoritative, then we should take them seriously. And we should take them as the most important thing that we let influence how we live our lives. Like you were just saying, it's not that we don't let anything else influence our lives. I don't know if this is like a spicy thing to say, but like the concept of all truth is God's truth. Like we have to be careful with that. But yeah, like two plus two being four, like you think God doesn't know that, (laughs) you know, like it's not in the Bible, but yes, of course, God is a God of order. Right. Um, and so we want to attribute those things to God and we look at how beautiful nature is and we learn things about our world that God created. And, um, I think it's important, but it does, uh, take work. So we want to take scripture seriously, but it's not always going to be easy. Like we're never going to just flip Mm. open the pages of scripture. I'm struggling with this thing. Let me just randomly open the Bible. That's not how the Bible's Mm. supposed to be read. Mm -hmm. Um, it does take work, Mm. but just like anything in life, the things that actually often take work are most worth it. Like we go to college or to schooling. I have a friend who went to school for eight years straight to get her doctorate in, um, in counseling because she wants to help people, right? Mm -hmm. She wants to help people understand themselves better and have a healthy relationship with themselves and others. So eight years of schooling, right? Mm. That's a lot. That's Mm. a long time. (laughs) (laughs) Like, are we willing to spend the time and energy and effort to understand the words of God the best we possibly can and how to apply them to our lives and apply them to culture. Um, but a lot of times we just, we don't, you know, mm. we, we are too busy with other things. Um, so I, I think I said this to you earlier, my goal in this conversation, when I share this message at different conferences or youth groups is not to tell people what to believe, but to challenge people where their source of belief is coming from and mm. to exhort them for it to come from scripture. Yeah. Right. Um, but sometimes it takes work. Like there are passages in scripture that are confusing, hmm. like very confusing mm-hmm. and that's okay. Hmm. Um, but I wouldn't be a Bible teacher if I believed that it was nonsense, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, like I, I wouldn't be doing this with my life. Yeah. Okay. Maybe you don't want to answer this or maybe it'll take too long so we could just delete it if okay. you don't want to. But can I ask uh, you like, why? so why, why is it, why is it? complicated sometimes mm. why why isn't it uh, i mean because so the big doctrine is the purposcuity of scripture <laughs> we, we we believe that god is able to clearly articulate himself yeah. to us sure. that, yeah. that it's understandable mm-hmm. so we believe that doctrinally mm-hmm. but then we pick up our bibles and we're like well that's a tough one <laughs> yeah what is so, happening <laughs> yeah so yeah you know you're talking to a high school kid who's like but why is it so hard to understand yeah. or yeah. an average you know believer in a everyday church like why is it so hard to understand? Or a pastor on a Monday morning looking at his next text he's going to teach next Sunday. Like, why is it so hard to understand? (laughs) Yeah. Right. Um, what's, what, why do you think it is that way? Yeah. I'm going to steal a phrase from Dan Kimball and I don't know if it was his or he stole from someone else, but that the Bible is written for us, for Christians in this age, but it wasn't written to us. Yeah. And that one principle alone has absolutely transformed how we read scripture. So when I'm reading Leviticus, (laughs) I'm like, okay, I trust that there's a purpose here. But it did not have you in mind. No, and because the world doesn't revolve around me, it is a blessing and a privilege that I get to be a part of the the story of God and the body of Christ and part of Abraham's offspring. And I believe all of those things. Um, But man, I am not a Jewish person from the ancient Near East. Like Mm. that is not who I am. But I get to follow Jesus who came from the line of this people group that God chose and how special that is and why he did that and the purpose behind that. So for me to understand more of those challenging texts, I do have to do more work. Yeah. But like we were talking before the podcast, it's exciting for me. Um, I, I, I love it. And uh, that's why you wouldn't tell a new believer to, to read Leviticus. You'd say, I don't know, read James or yeah. something like read Romans or First John or yeah. um, because it is easier to apply. But I actually think it's exciting mm-hmm. because um, sometimes when something is more challenging and more difficult, like we have to work at it, it's so much more rewarding, mm-hmm. you know, like whether that be a sport or like I've been playing piano for years, like 
I can just grab a chord sheet and be like, all right, I'm just going to play with this like worship team, you know, for the Sunday. I haven't really practiced with you guys, but it's going to be fine because I've been working at it for so many mm-hmm. years. And so the, re- the reward is so much richer and sweeter. I yes. think scripture's the same way. Yeah, that's yeah. good. I like that. I like that angle on it. I, I've thought about it like, well, if, if the Bible were like written in American and was, (laughs) you know, the way that sometimes we say we want it, like, why isn't it like this? It would just be straight up confusing to other people in other times and in other cultures. And sometimes I wonder if it's the way it is because it, I do believe in the clarity of scripture Mm -hmm. that it's accessible and that generally the church will come to the same orthodox, like big picture conclusions yep. about the Bible. Yeah. But I don't, I sometimes wonder if it's like, it's almost like a test, mm. you know, like, do you, you know, the first commandment, love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Like how much do you love yeah. God? Like, yeah. are you willing to dig into yeah. it a little bit to try to discover who he is? And then I just think it says a lot about who God is. Like he's, he's way wilder than (laughs) we imagine. And it's like, we just have these trippy passages that it's like, we're just getting the, the, um, the very tip of the creative power behind Mm -hmm. this book, you know? So it's, I think it's meant to make us feel like God's majesty a little bit, but humbled, right? Exactly. Like Like, I don't know everything. (laughs) Yes. And like we have so many years, like thousands of years of people, especially the last few hundreds of years of, of incredibly learned people writing books, like thousands upon thousands of books trying to understand this one book. Um, and that is huge. Like that says something about what the Bible is, I think. Yes. Well said. All right. Megan, as I know you, (laughs) um, I want to wrap things up by giving you a chance to maybe recommend a book to uh, people that are the, still listening at yeah. this point. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> a little longer, yeah. Um, well, I have two. I don't know if that's allowed. Please. Okay. So I've referenced this already. Um, I get to go through this book with my uh, senior girls. It's a newer book, but it is written by Dan Kimball, who is a friend, pastor, one of my professors. Yeah. Really cool dude, very very wise dude. Uh, it is called "How Not to Read the Bible." And have you? Are you familiar? I haven't read it oh, yet, man. but it's on my list, oh, I mean, and so I'm writing good. it down right now. I got to do it. One of the most accessible books I've ever ever read on how to approach scripture. And when I have students basically asking that question, like, "Okay, I I think I understand why I should trust the Bible, but how the heck do I understand it?" Mm-hmm. Like I didn't really have a book to give them because they were either like what you said, like the focused on why the Bible's trustworthy because of the manuscripts and the Dead Sea Scrolls and look at how many copies we have. And that all stuff is great. And there are books written about that. But that's not what my students are asking me is right. why I should trust the Bible yeah. and how I can understand it. That book is so, it's such an incredible tool. Like, mm. I'm so happy. I want to give it, I want it to be required reading for every Christian ever, honestly. Um, wow. And the second one I wish could be required reading for every Christian is Rebecca McLaughlin's Confronting Christianity. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Familiar? I think I've read it five times. <laughs> it's like, oh uh, yeah, she's just, <laughs> Rebecca, if you're ever listening <laughs> I just want you to know you are amazing. And I would just love to have a five minute conversation with you. Yeah. She's, yeah. yeah, That book. Oh my. I mean, yeah, you're talking about (laughs) it. I'm so glad that you're familiar and that your reaction is the same. I was in a meeting. um, Are you familiar with the regeneration conference? Oh, of course you are. Okay. Um, And so the, it was in 2019 I was speaking. And so that summer I was in a meeting with uh, Dan Kimball and Jay Kim, who's a pastor up North and Isaac Serrano, who's one of my uh, professors. And it was just like the four of us. And he, uh, I had just met Isaac and he handed me this book and he goes, based on the way you're talking, you need to read this. It just came out. You will love this and you'll resonate with this woman like you. And I read it. And I'm like, this is one of the best books I've read in the last 10 years. 
like I felt like I was underlining everything that, yep. that year when I spoke at Regen. Like I already had like the crux of my message, but I just kept quoting her. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, man, this is so compelling and so convincing and encouraging. And I just want everyone to read this. Yeah. So I, uh, I love these two books to recommend because one is specifically about scripture. And then one is just like, here are some of the claims of Christianity and what keeps people from t- trusting uh <laughs> the concept of Christianity and yeah. what it means to follow Jesus. So. Yeah. So like it, it just for those of you guys listening to it, she'll just take an issue like uh, claims that people mm-hmm. make about Christianity. So like the, the, the Christianity is oppressive to women yeah. and she just has a well-researched, heavily footnoted mm-hmm. um, answer and rebuttal to that yeah. statement and really balanced. And yeah, I just, I love her stuff. I was quoting her, uh, I just get to the point where I'm like, I can't quote Rebecca McLaughlin anymore. Like I'm just, this is too much. <laughs> oh, you do get it. But, uh, I read her Jesus through the eyes of women yeah. recently and loved that and was talking about it last Sunday to our church. Uh, but yeah, she's, she's amazing. So yeah, great, great book recommendations. There you go. I will, I will read, uh, Dan's awesome. book. That's a, that's a high recommendation. So I'm going to give you a chance to give one last closing exhortation to us, Meg, but I just want to say you're, you're even, you were like my, one of my most delightful youth kids back in the day. (laughs) Anytime you did come to youth group or walked into chapel at your high school, you just brightened up the room and I'm glad to see that the light has not diminished (laughs) in any way. I always hear good things about you, always hear good things about your ministry and I'm rooting for you mm-hmm. and I'm so glad that you're part of the church here on the Monterey Peninsula the greater Monterey Peninsula area and uh, so thanks so much for yeah. spending some time with us and for working so hard at this stuff for other people so what would be a last exhortation that you would give to us <laughs> yeah I didn't write anything down for this but I think the one thing I would say I, I might have already said it earlier is that searching for the answers to our lives in scripture is the best place to look and even when it's hard it is worth it Mm. and god has not left us alone for how to figure out this life like all of these different things we have our feelings or instincts like those are some tools but it's not just well play pick and choose game god's like here let me give you myself and when we're confused even about the words of scripture i think the best place to look is in the person of jesus Mm. um because yeah god gave us his word but like the word is god in the flesh in jesus christ and we follow a person you know not principles and so when we are confused i think the best place to look is in how jesus lived and jesus treated people